in, under quite a duress of trial, and uh, certainly glad physically you're able to be back with us. I want to let you all know, as we mentioned last week, that all the churches in Florida that we mentioned last week, we are getting information from them uh, church by church uh, because they're both uh, in the middle and on the east and west coast. And uh, as we get information, we'll be able to uh, give that to you of what we're trying to do and help those like-minded churches after uh, the hurricane. And um, I believe you got an email this week. Did you get an email sometime in the last week about what you could give to help? And we can begin to truck down to Houston and to um, uh, Florida to help these churches. And we'll, it's going to be a long road. Uh, we'll keep you posted over time. If you've come prepared to give, which is certainly an act of genuine worship, um, we want you to know that there's boxes provided in the lobby. We don't pass an offering plate in our morning service here. But uh, you can worship the Lord freely by uh, giving back to him what is already his uh, and to the Great Commission through Grace Church here in those boxes in the lobby or in the hallway uh, as you leave uh, this morning. Okay? All right, Pastor Steve, I think we need to finish the service today with number 96, the last hymn that we just finished with, uh, because it goes perfectly with the text of Scripture that we're going to finish this morning. Romans 8 and verse 18. Romans 8 and verse 18 uh, is where we'll be for a final time. As we mentioned, uh, chapter 17, chapter, excuse me, verse 17 concluded our previous section in Romans 8. Uh, verse 18 actually begins the next section by a little bit of a rehearsal uh, with a little bit of additional information in verse 18 that we had in verse 17. Uh, but it gives us a tremendous springboard for the next major section of Romans chapter 8 as we study it together. For those of you who are guests, this is kind of our pattern. Uh, we try to uh, go through one book at a time uh, at Grace, and sometimes we're able to go through those uh, books a little bit more quickly, and sometimes we go a little bit more slowly, uh, depending uh, really on what the need of the congregation is at a particular moment uh, when we address uh, a portion of Scripture. But I trust that uh, a little bit slower journey through Romans chapter 8 uh, has been encouraging uh, to you. Let's read verse 18 together just to refresh our minds a little bit and uh, we'll move forward uh, together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us and then really in us. Right? Uh, last week when we were together we took these words and divided them up into three particular sections and they were like this. Uh, what is our personal approach to affliction and suffering supposed to be? What is our personal approach to affliction and suffering to be? And we, we took a long time and we focused on that phrase, uh, for I consider. Um, in its root, it's really a mathematic term. Uh, it's something that uh, is quite a process that we are to lend our mental, emotional, and spiritual faculties to uh, considering it was used 15 times in the book of Romans before it's used here. And uh, it's time to pay special attention to the topic at hand when we see that word consider. We need to logic, literally logic our way through the reality of the temporary light weight of our afflictions here on earth compared to our eternal weight of glory. We mentioned a little bit, a few factors here in relationship to perspective uh, perspective. Uh, that was our second point. And we talked about identity and brevity and severity 
and responsibility and quality. Uh, these were words we uh, worked through underneath the idea of our believers, the believer's perspective when it comes to uh, affliction and uh, trial, regardless of the degree of affliction or trial that you might be currently persevering under. Right? We announced last week that our final point on verse 18 would be our prize, our prize. And uh, I, will, I, will, I will tell you that um, when you see this word in verse 18, glory, that whenever I see that term in the New Testament or the Old Testament, my, my, I get a little weighted. Um, it's, uh, it's a word that is, um, the Bible talks a lot about, but in our fallenness, even though we may be in Christ and be saved, we, it, it's somewhat of a mystery to me. It, it's such a weighty, immense subject. Uh, we're going to try to explain exactly what it means here as we compare our future glory to our current circumstances. Uh, but I want to let you know that um, um, I don't know that I'll have a golden tongue <laughs> uh, this morning in describing something that's so spectacular, splendid, immense, and beautiful. <laughs> uh, but we hope to do it service um, as we move forward uh, here today. Um, and I hope your hearts are encouraged um, at least to understand this. If, if, this, if this world was all that we had, if the hopes of this world were going to die with this world, we'd kind of be a miserable people, wouldn't we? I mean, if all we had is what we see, we'd be a really sad people, and understandably so. You understand, many of you that have been in Christianity for a long time, the promises of God's word that he gives us about the glorious things to come after we breathe our last on this earth. And we're actually told in, in Scripture that in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we might not even breathe our last on this earth. The Lord Jesus may come while we're alive. And, and we're told to comfort one another with these words. What we know that's true about the last phrase of verse 18 is, this is something that we're to be considering often in our earthly existence here. The glory that's to come. Because remember the first phrase of verse 18, for I consider. He's considering two things, and they're linked. Yes, I'm going to uh, logic my way through the, the nature of trials, the degree of those trials, and all those things we consider under perspective. That's what I'm going to do. But we've got to give equal time, at least equal time, to logicking our way through the glory that's to come. And this is where we find strength to persevere. So I would just encourage you to do that. As your pastor... Let's start thinking a whole lot more about eternity and the blessings of enjoying the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. And for those of you that may not, we may not know well, you may not be members, I hope you keep coming. It's been great to have you come. 
uh, I would just ask you to consider this too. This second part of this verse, when we talk about the prize, the, you know, the glorious prize to come for a believer after this um, burden-laden earth, our time on earth is done, right? Um, that glorious time to come only comes to those who are in Christ. So I would encourage you to examine your own heart as to whether you are in Christ. We always talk about knowing a lot about Christ and actually knowing Christ. Consider that because God would have this future glory be yours as well. He, he would love for you to know his son. But the only way to enjoy the glory that we're going to discuss is for you to first know the express image of God's glory, the book of Hebrews tells us, is Jesus Christ. As Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you know the Son, you know the Father. um, So certainly Jesus is the express image of the glory of of God. Uh, We own that glory positionally if we know him. Uh, We certainly know because we own Jesus Christ that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we can do all to the glory of God. We can, as we grow in Christ like this, we we should have an increasing ability to mirror the character of God a little bit uh, more each day, uh, month and year that we're alive on this planet, um, only to be in the likeness of his character when we see him, for sure. We understand in 1 Thessalonians 2 that the Apostle Paul could actually look uh, at the testimony of the Thessalonian believers and he could write to them because of the way that they were persevering in the faith so well. He could say, you believers, you Thessalonian believers, you are my glory and my crown. And all that Paul's saying there basically is uh, you are demonstrating and increasingly demonstrating that you know Jesus Christ by the way you live. And you're growing in your ability to demonstrate and put on display the character of God. That's really what we mean when we say glorify God whether you eat or drink. It's an increasing ability because we know Jesus Christ to put on display in our homes and in public the character of God. Theologians love to, dispo- love to explain and explicate in detail what it means to glorify God. And, and some of their wording is so uh, um, hard to understand. <laughs> so I'm not going to give you any of those detailed definitions because uh, most of us, um, uh, they would just be distracting. All I would tell you is, if you're going to continue to glorify God, keep growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then you will have the ability to put God's character on display more and more, both in your home and in public. But that's not the glory that the Apostle Paul's discussing here. This is what we would call final glory. Final glory. There are three times that the believer has or will experience glory. The moment we're born again, the moment we're in Jesus Christ, the moment we're saved, we experience initial glory. We get God in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the glory of God. So that's positional glory. We understand practical glory. Gradually, as I've already said, growing in Christ and being able to display his character in our home and our community. But this is final glory. This is final glory. This is a glory 
that only two persons in human history have experienced it and been able to explain a little bit. One of those persons is Jesus Christ himself because he's enjoyed the glory of God for all of eternity, right? Because he is eternally the son of God. The person who writes this verse is the only other person we know in human history that was able to actually personally experience this glory. And then he wrote about it. So I know how wonderful it is for us to sit down and watch movies about little five-year-old boys who die and say they went to heaven and they saw all these things and they met their grandpas and grandmas and they came back and that gives us a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling and it seems kind of cool that a little five-year-old would be able to do this. I'm not debunking the experience. Um, for those of you that are familiar with these kinds of uh, flicks, uh, but all I would say is, is the Bible tells us that there's only one person who's actually experienced it and then continued to live. And this person, as we'll find out, said that uh, what he saw was so glorious, uh, he would not be permitted of that glory to speak of it on earth. Uh, because it was such a, an, a, an amazing sight that fallen lips would find it hard to explain in detail. Right? So the Apostle Paul himself, who writes 8.18, is the only one that's experienced this, and in his immense understanding of God and theology and so forth, he himself would not even broach the subject of explaining what he saw. We'll see that in 2 Corinthians 12 a little bit. But for us... Glory that awaits is a tremendous prize. It's a reward, isn't it? I can remember when I was growing up, my parents uh, didn't have the means to take us on uh, annual summer vacations. But when we went, my dad did a great job at making sure that when we had the opportunity to finally go, that it was going to be a wonderful trip. And often they would announced to us that trip and when it was going to take place. Well, for little kids to have that announcement given to them months before they actually go, what does that do in a little kid's head and heart? Right? You get a little excited, don't you? As a matter of fact, you think about that all the time. You know? So you can get distracted from even basic responsibilities because all you're doing is thinking about that trip to Florida. As a little kid, I could remember my mom coming to me and saying, hey, you know, you forgot to clean your room. I was like, well, it's dad's fault. <laughs> All I can do is think about this incredible trip, and I forgot to clean my room. <clears throat> We'd have a good laugh, and then I'd go clean my room really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> the announcement of coming glory and joy for the believer is not intended to be a distraction from daily responsibilities. As a matter of fact, it's, in, it's intended to compel us to be more faithful in those daily responsibilities because the hope that is within us purifies us even as he is pure. But nonetheless, it should drive us to obey and joyfully so. 
the prospectus of that coming glory, that prize, is something that should daily overwhelm us and push us to look up and to be listening for the imminent return of the Lord more and more often in that time of millennial reign and that time of eternal state and all the other things that are involved with that in Scripture. As believers, the Lord Jesus Christ has even set before us in Scripture certain rewards that his followers will be given as a result of persevering on this earth. I know you folks know them, right? John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, which is the ultimate prize, right? The presence of Christ, who then will give us and grant us those eternal rewards in heaven of which include a heavenly mansion. Right? Um, but the language here is, is uh, very, very clear. We're working our way, we're logic, aren't logicking, if you will, our way through this. We've considered the aspect of sufferings, but it says these are the present time. They're not worthy to be compared. They're not worthy to be compared. Let, let's consider that phrase just for a moment. What's, what's behind this phrase, worthy to be compared? Uh, the root word of this phrase is just a word that means to drive, to drive or to lead or to cause to move. It is something, the idea is it's something heavy enough that one placed upon an object causes that object to move. So a lot of you love to experience the children's Grace Kids Club races at the end of the summer. They put the big track down the middle of the auditorium and they get their little model cars ready. And on the, model, on the bottom of those model cars is a what? It's a lead weight, right? And that lead weight, without that lead weight, that little gopher wood car is not going anywhere. It's too light. It's feather light, really. You handle that little car without that weight, it doesn't even feel like anything's in your hand. But when you add that weight to it, it's that weight which causes it to move. The Apostle Paul's saying, like, our trials here on earth are like that gopher wood car without that weight. They're feather light. They're feather light. When you compare them to the weight of glory in the future, right, and that weight compels us to move our attention off of what's feather light to what is importantly heavy. <laughs> so if you're going to think of it in terms of a balance instead of forward motion, right? And it's the scale, right? The scale of eternal glory far outweighs the feather light temporary afflictions we face on this present earth. So as we logic our way through this, certainly we rationalize what the Bible says about trials. We did that last week. But this is where he ends this verse because this is, what, this is the verse that compels us forward in the next section of the book of Romans chapter 8. Really, if we're going to logic our way through this verse accurately, you ready? It would be logical for us to spend less time thinking about our trials and our afflictions and more time thinking about the eternal weight to come. That's the common sense logic for I consider. And if you think about, if I think about that personally for me, 
as your pastor. It, in our lives, practically, the featherweight of temporary afflictions typically outweigh the glory to come by how much time our minds are consumed with the agony of those light temporary afflictions. But Paul's saying the Spirit of God would have us do the opposite. So we really need to be spending personal time before God, considering the glory to come. We need to be spending more time as families talking about the glory to come. As we listen for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever you have to do in your personal walk with God or, or in your chat with your family about these things, let, 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 let's tip the scales a little bit more. That's all I'm saying. Somehow practically tip the scales a little bit more. Well, how do we do this? Well, folks, I'm going to um, try to explain it uh, as best as I can in describing. If you're going to tip the scales and consider it more, you've got to have some material to consider. So I want you to consider these things in the remaining few moments that we have left this morning. These are the things that we ought to be contemplating more and more in addition to what we've already stated about the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, those prizes that await us that we've mentioned in part a couple minutes ago. But what is the particular glory that the Apostle Paul is seeking to describe here in the second part of verse 18? And I really do think it's a particular glory. Um, in addition to all the other glories that are going to come, uh, let's focus on this particular glory. Take your Bibles if you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As you're turning there, let's remember last week's perspective on trials. Do you remember we, we discussed words under that perspective that we already rehearsed this morning? Our identity, the brevity, the severity, the responsibility, and the quality. Uh, before we jump into 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, let's think about those words in relationship to glory. It's wonderful to identify ourselves with the kind of suffering Jesus Christ had on this earth. As we suffer the same things as we looked at 1 Peter 4 last week. It's, it brings a great assurance to our hearts, doesn't it? To know that, that we're actually adopted into his family. And we know we are because we're actually suffering the same things Christ did. So when you think about that kind of glory, that brings great glory to our hearts. Great joy to our hearts. We understand that what we suffer now is short compared to an eternal weight of glory. So when you think in terms of time, what we have here is brief. What we have there is forever. You think about severity. What we have here comes in various degrees of severity. What we have there is no severity. It's gone. The Lord will wipe all tears from our eyes. 
What about responsibility? There is a weight of responsibility under trials, isn't it? We still have to live faithfully regardless of the degree of trial we're under. As a matter of fact, we're told in Scripture that those trials are supposed to develop spiritual maturity. Don't ask for God to take the trial away. Just ask for bigger spiritual shoulders to carry it. That's what we're told in Scripture. And we do that. But when we get to the other side, responsibility is gone. No more carrying any trials. <laughs> no more carrying any trials. My wife, she's a gem. I, I, I like her a lot. And she, she was listening to this TV program. She wasn't even watching. She was just listening to it. And there was this gal on the TV program that talked about this vitamin supplement or whatever that she started to take because it made her neck pain go away. So she decided to go to, to uh, Walgreens and get me get her, get us uh, a sampling of this stuff. Now, I want to let you know, all my sermons have been out on time, pretty much, not all, pretty much out on time for uh, 11 years, primarily because I do respect your time, but, be, but my knee hurt. <laughs> I just really couldn't. I can't stand up here very long. So, <laughs> so she gets me this supplement, right? And all of a sudden, this pain I've been having in my knee, like forever, it's like gone. So you're never going to get out on time on a sunny morning again, <laughs> right? Because I'm feeling good, right? Um, uh, but I, those of you that have had multiple orthope uh, orth orthopedic surgeries on an extremity, you understand how time uh, it, it does interesting things to that joint. Uh, well, I've had four in my right ankle and four on my left knee, and uh, both reconstructive in their, in their nature. And over time, uh, it, uh, even though you exercise, they don't necessarily feel better. Um, but there's something about this particular supplement that has, like, taken the pain away, right? Um, and uh, it was heavy to live underneath that pain for a long time. Uh, when you sit for more than 10 minutes, when you get up, it takes about 10 minutes to get your legs straight, right? And uh, you limp for a little bit and blah, 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 wine, wine, wine. All right, I'm not playing my fiddle. Right? Uh, but it's a, great, it's a great thing to have that pain gone. Right? Uh, it seemed quite heavy when I was under it. Right? But now the pain's gone and I'm feeling really good. Right? Uh, I suppose that when we broach the subject of eternal glory, it's kind of got that same kind of mindset. When we get to glory someday and we experience the, the relief of the responsibility and we experience the relief of the quality of that environment compared to the quality of what we enjoyed spiritually while we were enduring trials. When we get to that moment in heaven, we're going to be looking back on that pain and saying, ah, it wasn't so bad after all. And it was worth it because it was really for only three score and ten. About 70 years in relationship. And now I've got no time limit. I've got no time limit. And I get to enjoy this relief in the presence of Christ and his saints for eternity. It's ah, not so bad. Not so bad. For those of you that didn't know, uh, the Apostle Paul, during his lifetime, the Lord allowed him, 
with God's ability, obvious, to pay a visit to heaven. He describes it very briefly in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, I know a man in Christ. He's so humbled by the experience, he doesn't tell you who the guy is, but it's him. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, but God knows, such a man was caught up into the third heaven. Now, for those of you who are newer to, to, to Christianity, when Paul speaks in terms of heavens, he's thinking about our environment first, what we see, right? Uh, the next heaven would be the environment of space, stars, planets, those celestial things we see. And when he speaks of a third heaven, that's where, that's, that's where the presence of God, that's where the presence of God and, and he will enjoy with all the saints in time. It's, it's beyond the environment of space. This is where uh, Paul has gone for a brief uh, moment in time. Verse 3 says, And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses." For if I do not wish to boast, I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth. But if I refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Basically what the Apostle Paul is saying is, um, uh, it's inexpressible what I saw. If I began to explain it, I would become the center of attention of the subject and not what I saw or who I saw. But just understand what I saw was inexpressible. And this is what it did to me. It pointed out to me my weaknesses. It pointed out to me uh, what I was really worth as a fallen man. Right? Um, so as we go back to Romans chapter 8, and we talk about comparing our temporary light affliction with the eternal weight of glory. And, and we understand the weight aspect, comparing. This is, this is what gives us momentum. This is what tips the scales. This is what we are to uh, be thinking about. Um, I hope to give you more uh, data to contemplate or to consider as we go along considering our eternal, uh, our eternal weight of glory to come. All right? Um, so... I would encourage you to get, if you have a copy at home, James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on Romans. And I would encourage you to study out thoroughly what he says about the second half of Romans 8.18. In his commentary, he tells the story of a speech that C.S. Lewis gave years ago in 1941 to a group of pastors in a seminar. Now, James Montgomery Boyce and C.S. Lewis, we wouldn't stand completely with them on, any, on, on, on a number of things, uh, doctrinally or philosophically or practically, but, but C.S. Lewis says some things in this speech that I think will help us uh, consider what this future weight of glory uh, is. Lewis says that glory denotes brightness, splendor, and luminosity, and even beauty. 
He preached that every human being desires worth, acceptance, approval, brightness, splendor, luminosity, and beauty. And that's true, isn't it? Don't we desire that, being created in the image of God? Think about that. It's interesting, isn't it? Being created in the image of God, these are things that we crave. These are things that we want, but being affected by our sinful natures, we have a hard time really um, defining and or even trying to achieve uh, this worth, this acceptance, this approval, this brightness, splendor, luminosity, and their beauty uh, in and of of ourselves. He explained that even when we see creation, we see the glory of God. And we don't feel at times that we can even achieve the glory that creation, inanimate objects that God's created, demonstrate. We feel small even when we look at the glory of God in creation. And we do, don't we? But the glory that Paul saw in heaven was in his fallenness, humanly inexpressible. You hear that phrase often, don't you? I'm so overwhelmed with what people have done for me, words cannot describe my gratitude, right? Uh, we'll We'll hear that phrase all the time in media for people that have been helped. I, words cannot describe, words cannot, I have no words to. Well, when the apostle Paul has this vision of heaven and he comes back, he's still a fallen creature saved by grace. And even in that state, he could not describe what he had seen because it was truly inexpressible, inexplicable. I mean, we understand the cliche that we use when we're helped by other people. Words cannot describe what they, but you know what? We can find words for that, can't we? I mean, if we just took a few moments to script it out, think about it, edit it, rewrite it, there's all kinds of beautiful languages, uh, language of, in, of gratitude in the human language. We really can find words to explain. We just haven't had time to, and we just want to tell everyone we're effervescing with thankfulness anyway. But this is one situation where it was so immense in what he saw, he truly could not describe it as a fallen creature. And even if he attempted to, the text says, the attention would be brought to him unnecessarily, and that was not his intention. So we know that we are, what we are positionally in Jesus Christ. We're accepted in the beloved. We're adopted, sealed, children of God by the Spirit. We're forever reconciled unto God in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are spiritually perfectly beautiful in Christ's splendid perfection. But yet there's something we've not experienced yet on the practical side of things, and that's complete personal glory. This side of heaven will have sports figures obtain the highest level of glories by being nominated and placed into certain sports hall of fames, right? You have the Canton Football Hall of Fame not far south of us here. And when those guys stand up next to their bust and they've gotten the Hall of Fame coat and they stand up and they say what? Words cannot describe (laughs) the gratitude that I have for being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We have our places for our people who deserve glory and who deserve honor but the kind of glory and honor that we are going, that is going to be presented to us and then will be demonstrated in us 
is unlike anything that we've seen by way of man receiving glory on this earth. The fullness of the glory of the practical perfected state is unknowable by us for now. But Paul's ability to describe glory that is to come is based on personal experience. And he says it's greater than any one or combination of human experiences that we know in our current state of imperfection. He is saying when our practical state is perfected like our spiritual state, sinless souls can discern and comprehend the splendor, brightness, and luminosity of God and fully personally know and enjoy worth, acceptance, and approval by their creator. Lewis went on to say when human souls have become as perfect in voluntary obedience as the inanimate creation is in its lifeless obedience, then they will put on its glory, or rather, that greater glory of nature is only the first sketch for us. Let us understand that we have in, in Scripture, Revelation 20 and 21, we have in Second Peter 3 some some physical aspects of heaven, don't we? We have it described for us. But again, that's part of the glory. The, some of the, the prizes that we'll receive when we get to heaven, those rewards for faithful service here, those crowns, that home, those are all aspects of the environment of that glory, but that's not the glory. There's more layers. There's a more essential layer to that. And the glory the Apostle Paul here is speaking of, is, is, it says here in the grammar in Romans 8.18, it will be given to you. And, and the grammar here is literally presented to you and then developed in you, individually. He's not necessarily speaking to the whole of the church of Rome here. He's speaking to individuals in the seats that are listening to this letter that's being read. You will be presented this glory. You will have it recognized in you. You will recognize it in you. And what is that? Well, let's continue on here. In preparation for continuing on, we're not going to go there yet, but you can go there. First John chapter 3, okay? Yeah, you can go there now and hold your finger in Romans chapter 8. The prize for the believer within this context must be personal glory of practical, sinless perfection. We will fully know the ability of perfection. To see, discern, experience, splendor, brightness, the luminosity of God, and fully know worth, acceptance, and approval of our creator. You know, we often say as believers that assurance of our salvation is a doctrine, but it's also a feeling, right? When do we feel assured that we're saved? We typically don't doubt our salvation when we're trying to live faithfully for the Lord, right? How many of you have doubted your salvation sometime since you've been saved? Raise your hand. My hand's up first. I have. Look around the room. Look around the room, everybody. Almost everybody. If you haven't, praise the Lord. For most of us, it's our experience at some time in our journey to doubt our salvation. When we doubt it, it's typically coming in a time when we've experienced a spiritual uh, failure and we're struggling with the guilt from that, from that fall and we're not feeling assured. We're not feeling assured. But what the Apostle Paul is explaining to us here is being in an environment in a future glory 
where there'll be no more doubting. There'll be no more wondering because the possibility of falling is removed. And so there will only be the perpetual enjoyment of assurance. While you're here on this earth and you doubt your salvation, it doesn't mean that you're not saved anymore. But that feeling can be burdensome, can it? It can really devastate us in our walk for quite some time. But in heaven, not anymore. We will fully know acceptance. We will fully understand it. Fully be able to embrace it and enjoy it. We know that we're approved of our Savior now. That's positional truth. But sometimes our fallenness clouds that understanding of approval. <clears throat> but in that future state, in that glorious place, we'll never doubt his approval in any way, shape, or form. Nothing, absolutely no temporary affliction can compare to the prize of that kind of glory that awaits us. 1 John chapter 3. A text that's familiar to, <coughs> to many of us. Verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. And we are. That's positional truth. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we are children of God and it has not yet appeared what we will be. That phrase right there is what Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 through 6. He experienced what would be. Only he was unable to fully wrap his mind around it because he experienced it still in an unglorified state. It does not appear to us yet. We can't grasp it, even though we're enjoying many spiritual blessings now as we endure through these afflictions. But we know that when he appears, I believe that appearing is in reference to his imminent return for the believers, for the church, and what we understand to be the rapture. This is not his second coming to establish his kingdom. So this wouldn't be his second advent. It would be his appearing in the clouds. When he appears, we will be like him at that moment because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope on him, remember, logic your way through this. Reason your way. For I consider, I think about these things a whole lot more than I work my way through my trials. If we do that, then our lives are purified, progressively grown in Christ-likeness, gradually, ever so more, to the point where we are pure as he is pure when we see him. So we understand, um, as we wrap up here this morning, um, that Jesus, the, the logos of God is eternal. Would you agree? Jesus Christ is eternal. But we would also understand that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Would you agree? Amen. Right? The Lord Jesus Christ was born. God was enfleshed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's a mystery for us. It's hard for us to understand how a person on earth could be fully divine, fully infinite, and fully man at the same time. 
The Lord Jesus Christ experienced on earth temptation without sin. That's why he could die an efficacious death for us on the cross. But he did take upon himself all of our sin. He experienced the agony of the consequences of that sin. He bore our punishment. He bore our death. He was interred for us and he was raised for us. And he's coming again for us. Right? The glorious body in which the Lord Jesus Christ received upon his resurrection. Our bodies will be fashioned, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, like unto his glorious body. So when we see him and we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is. The glory that the apostle Paul is discussing in Romans 8, 18b that cannot even begin to be compared is both a spiritual and a physical glory. We will spiritually know what it means to be sinless. Not to sin less and less, but to be sinless. We'll feel, fully be able to, to discern acceptance and approval. The beauty of the environment. When you go to the edge of the Grand Canyon, you're, you're seeing something that takes your breath away for, for sure. But I don't know that in one visit, I don't know if in 10 visits, you can actually uh, capture all the beauty that's actually there because it's so immense, right? But when we get to heaven, as immense as it is, as all the glory that's going to be there in a sinless state, we're going to be able to immediately per per perceive not just acceptance and approval, but the splendid glory and beauty that's all around us. <laughs> Imagine if we would be able to capture just the beauty of the Grand Canyon in one visit, all of it, comprehensively. We would be overwhelmed, right? But in comparison to our eternal way, we're going to spiritually be able to perceive it comprehensively as created but now glorified people of God. So that's the spiritual understanding but the prize just doesn't end with a spiritual understanding. We'll be doing it in resurrected bodies. We'll be doing it in glorified bodies. No more Instaflex for Tim Potter's knee. Right? No more readers. Couldn't hold out till I was 50. I'm going to be a half a century old in January. Right? Quickly becoming... Someone said these make me look like I'm smarter, so that's not bad. So we just put them on more often. Right, right, right. Again, this comes to the point where it's actually hard to explain, but something that we'll have to leave in the words of Scripture, that there's something about this, that the logicing our way through, considering our way through this future glory to come that's both spiritual and physical, that compels us, it really spiritually forces us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ now in his character. It's almost like a preparation ground. Right? It's almost like the believer wants to prepare themselves for this glory. Right? We know we're accepted in the beloved. We know we're already accepted. Right? We're co-heirs with Christ. But there's something about this spiritual and physical reality of this glory to come that we are now preparing ourselves for um, to enjoy. And I think that's 1 John 2, 26 to 28, isn't it? 
There seems to be the Apostle John there. Is, is, if you go over to chapter 2, go back to chapter 2 with me. What does it say here? Um, verse 28, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, there's that word appear, similar to what we saw at the beginning of chapter 3, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his what? At his coming. None of us would have ever thought that the moment we saw Jesus Christ in the clouds, when we heard the trumpet, that it could possibly be for some of us a time of immediate shame. Even though we're part of the family, it might not be such a glorious first glance. Instead of looking and basking in his glory like this, it might be for some of us like this. You know? But it seems to me that there could be a lack of preparation for his imminent return. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who what? Practices righteousness is born of him. So this is, um, this is a preparation time in our current state for that time when we will be spiritually and physically uh, able to sense, feel, see, and understand glory, approval, and acceptance. I wonder if this isn't what Paul was discussing in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, when he says, set your affection on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. I wonder if this is not what he was encouraging us to do in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, reminding us that we are dispossessed citizens of heaven. I wonder if this isn't what Abraham was experiencing in Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 10, where he was called and he obeyed by going out into a place that he did not know. And he was seeking a better what? a better country. That which we know in part, we will then know in full. And that's glory for us. That's glory for us. Let's pray together.